This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our podcast. As I say every week, don't be afraid to tell a friend or an associate uh, all the good podcasty stuff you hear. Subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find me and my information at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com, or you can shoot me an email at brian at brianlharding.com. Today we've got on Mike Sloan, and uh, we're going to talk about a couple different things, uh, life insurance, key man insurance, and uh, uh, also captive insurance companies. And if you haven't, if you don't know what those things are, uh, stay tuned. It's pretty fascinating stuff, and it's all about uh, saving money on taxes and wealth accumulation and things like that. So, first of all, welcome, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, let me tell you a little bit about, my, about Mike. Uh, Mike Sloan is a licensed insurance professional and has earned the Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor designation, or CRPC, uh, conferred by the College of Financial Planning in Denver, Colorado. He focuses on helping his clientele of business owners and professionals reduce taxes, business risk, and business expenses. After serving four years in the United States Navy, Mike entered the financial services industry in 1985. Mike and his team specialize in working with business owners and professionals. And uh, Mike's an affinity partner with Camus Consulting and Fortress Risk Management, national leaders in advanced tax, tax legacy, and insurance planning. And uh, Mike is a team of insurance, or I'm sorry, Mike and his team of attorneys, accountants, uh, insurance specialists, and investment professionals. We'll work with you and your professional advisors to, to design a comprehensive plan to grow, access, and protect your wealth. Working together with your advisors, Mike and his team will help you identify your goals and implement cutting-edge strategies and products to help you, you protect what you already have, grow your wealth, maintain liquidity, and use and control uh, your money while you're still working. You can reach Mike at Mike Sloan, S-L-O-A-N, uh, C-R-P-C, Mike Sloan, C-R-P-C.com or at 509-676-6464. So, Mike, tell us, what is, what is key man insurance, and, and uh, why, why should we care? What is it? Every business has a person, two, or three that are instrumental in the success of the business. The death, disability, or departure of that key employee could have devastating consequences on a business. Oftentimes, uh, people start a business on a handshake, and the business starts small, grows, and grows, and grows. And oftentimes, the strategic planning, the things that are actually going to hold that business together over time, are often ignored. Oftentimes, it's uh, an insurance professional, maybe a CPA, who says to the client, hey, there's some issues here that we need to be aware of. Right. Right. And so, if you're – and uh, the, the, you know, the, key, the word key man is meaning key employees – but in the beginning, the key employees are generally the owners. And so you've got to insure um, the buy-sell agreement, for instance. So uh, the way a buy-sell agreement, most of them are written, is if you have a partnership and one of the partners gets hit by a train, uh, the other partner cashes out their estate. And, and, and that way you're not creating a situation where you now have the, the deceased partner's child or spouse as your business partner. Uh, I think a lot of folks don't really walk that through all the way. So when you start out a business and you have a business partner, if anything happened to them, they become, you know, incapacitated for whatever reason, then you now have their next of kin as your business partner, which, again, when you start out, funds are tight, 
you don't have a lot of money to spend on things like attorneys and insurance and things like that. But we're really protecting the um, the continuity of the company by not throwing a bunch of wrinkles at it by bringing in partners who don't know anything about the business. For instance, if it's a child or a niece or a nephew, if it's if that's next of kin or whatever, and so the insurance then insures that buy sell agreement. So the value of the business that that partner who dies owns is just paid out in cash, but the life insurance and the estate's paid off, and then the, the remaining owner goes out and finds a new partner or just runs it on their own, right? Correct. Oftentimes, uh, what you described is a, a perfect scenario. And you know, I like to ask a business owner, if I know that they have a business partner, one of the first questions I'll ask is, um, if your partner died today, how would you feel about being in business with his spouse? Right. And that spouse is going to have expectations of uh, an income coming in from the business, an equity stake in the business, and yet not have any of the, the managerial skills to participate in operating the business. Right. Another term that we use, and instead of a buy-sell to, to kind of get the message across to people, is that we call it a, a business prenuptial agreement. Right. And that is making that plan today just in case the worst happens. Right. And most buy-sell agreements that we see are oftentimes they're written just in the event of death. But a buy-sell agreement should also incorporate death, disability, divorce, right. or just, I'm tired of the business, I want to go do something else. Right. Having a formalized written agreement in place can prevent so many problems. Sure. And we dealt with a, a situation recently where we had uh, two partners that... Um, Initially, when we were brought into the case, uh, we were told that they did have a buy-sell agreement. And uh, after some questioning and uh, conversations with their advisor, we realized, no, they didn't actually have a buy-sell agreement. And they dilly-dallied about it and never really got their act together and getting the documents drawn up. One of the partners died. Right. And now you've, you're left with a company with the loss of one of its uh, key employees, and you've got a spouse who now wants... Uh, income coming in from that business. Right. And there's no way for the surviving partner to, uh, to disown or to, uh, to mitigate that circumstance because they were 50, 50 owners. Right. And that case ended up going to court and it cost the, the business a lot of money, diminished the value of the business. And ultimately the surviving partner did win, but ended up paying out a substantial amount of money to his, uh, deceased partner's spouse. Right. And so in the only alternative is you bring on this person as a partner and you try to operate the best you can. Like you say, they're going to have salary and income requirements or expectations at least. And meanwhile, you've got to go now hire somebody to do the job of the person who died or left or whatever. And generally at that stage in the company's progress, you can't afford all that. Correct. You can't afford to pay somebody to do the job that the person did and pay the salary that the owner who died was getting to the spouse or child or whatever, the company just can't afford that in most cases. Correct. And, and in addition to that, you've got a, a company who uh, was maybe in its growth stage, doing very well. Now, all of a sudden, you've lost a key person. The value of the business itself may actually be diminished. Right. So not only have you suffered a, an immediate financial loss and now have to pay out benefits to a surviving spouse, but the actual value of the business has diminished because you've lost one of the key employees. Right. And uh, again, it comes back to how important it is to listen to your advisors and implement a business succession plan, implement a business prenuptial plan, and plan for the worst. We, we hope to God it never happens, but we all know that you know, things like this do happen. Right. 
and careful planning can ensure the the ongoing security of a business. Yeah. And the flip side of that is if if you know if you don't do this, you're putting your spouse and your family at risk. If you're the one that dies, and they inherit fifty percent of a company that's now worth a whole heck of a lot less than it was when you were alive, it's better off for your family just to have them cashed out and they have that income replacement through the life insurance policy, and they don't have to go through this turmoil of being the one who is trying to provide for their family and trying to replace the income you brought in, now expecting that from a company that can't pr- perform and provide the same way they did when you were the key employee that was there. Correct. So, you know, and, and, and again, I think, you know, we all think we're invincible and it's never going to happen to us. And we have super lofty and pie in the sky ideals when we start our companies. And this is not something you want to consider. The, the, the uh, prenuptial analogy is a perfect one. When you get married, you don't, you don't think it's ever going to do anything except for in a white picket fence and 85-year-old couple holding hands as they pass away, pass away peacefully together, but that's not reality in a lot of cases. And people get injured. People get struck by lightning. People, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's not one of the things that, that we don't want to think about. And then on top of that, it's not necessarily at the top of the, the list of things you want to spend money on when you're starting out is hiring lawyers to write these agreements and hiring or buying insurance policies to pay for them. But it's a pretty critical piece just for peace of mind for everybody. And for sustainability of the company in the event something bad happens. That's true. And, and a lot of times your bank will look, uh, if you're looking for business financing, um, your bank's going on to see the documents. You know, they, they may be hesitant to lend to a company that doesn't have a formal succession plan in place. Right. Um, you know, banks are, are worried about risk. And if one of the uh, key employees of a business dies and or uh, gets severely injured and disabled, then the loan that the bank has provided for the growth of your business could be at risk. Right. So it's an important document on many different levels. So then once once we get past the ownership group, if there's more than more than one, or even if there is only one, you still you know want to ensure your your income for your family, and you start hiring employees, and these employees take on key positions, i.e., a salesperson or sales manager or a production manager or um, you know different different kinds of roles that are key. Um, if something catastrophic were to happen to them unexpectedly, now you have the expense of needing to replace that person like immediately, and that can be expensive. It's it's a whole lot more expensive to hire a person when you need them right now than it is. We've got you know a few weeks or months to to find the right person. That's not the situation you're going to find yourself in. You may be looking at having to pay somebody a twenty five thousand dollars signing bonus if they're a key employee to get them mm-hmm. like right now and get them enticed away from where they're currently working or whatever. Um, and you're going to have income loss during this time that you're looking for this person. If it's your key salesperson, you're going to have sales that go down. If it's a key production person, you're going to have production that goes down. And this, these life insurance policies help pay the company to get through those, those times where production or performance is down and to help afford to bring on somebody in an emergency kind of situation. Very true. Uh, we had a situation recently, we were talking with a, a business owner and, um, he said, you know, I'm, I'm the key person. I run the business. I have all the key contacts. And our advisor asked him, said, really, when was the last time you went out in the field and visited your key contacts? Right. And he said, uh, it's been several years. Right. So who is doing that? Right. Well, that's my sales manager. And if your sales manager had a tragic car accident today or, or turned in his resignation today, how would that impact your business? All of a sudden, the business owner realized, I, I may own this place, but I've got somebody else who's really responsible for maintaining these key contacts, responsible for maintaining the growth of the business. Right. And that question 
uh, about what would happen really changed his mindset. And he realized that, you know, he had a, a major risk in his business that he had not yet addressed. Right. And the nice thing about life insurance is it's not only a vehicle that can help you insure against the risk of a, a death, but it can also be used as a tool to help you recruit, retain, and reward good employees. Um, in today's tight labor market, we're finding that the 401k plan, the SEP, or the simple plan have their limitations in helping the business owner actually recruit and retain people because everybody has to be treated equally. Right. Using life insurance strategies, we can create a bonus plan that allows the business to reward key employees more significantly than other employees. Right. And if you've got somebody who's really a, a significant revenue driver for your company, you want the ability to say to that person, I, uh, I honor and respect the contributions that you're making to this company, and we're going to set up a plan that is exclusively for your benefit. Right. So this would be, you know, uh, again, a 401k is a good example. You hire somebody and they're eligible to participate in your 401k after 90 days or a year or whatever, however your plan is written. Um, that person may be in a job that it's going to take them five or 10 years to get the ex expertise to become a key contributor to the company or any company in your industry. However, you may have somebody on board who's already got 30 years of experience that already is that person. A 401k requires you treat them equally. The, the key man insurance allows you to say, you are bringing, you're driving revenue, you're driving production, you're driving whatever. This other person's a great employee, but they're still learning. And if they, if they you know, won the lottery and moved to Florida, um, it would suck, but we could get by. If this person gets hit by a bolt of lightning, we're in deep trouble. And, and it allows you to under, uh, recognize that and adjust and, and compensate accordingly. Correct. And you can go one step further, too. And in your 401k plan or any of the what I call the government-regulated retirement plans, you have to treat everybody equally. When you use these customized, non-qualified benefit programs, we can set up different vesting schedules. So let's say you have a, a key employee who's been with you for 10 or 15 years. You know he's loyal to the business. You know he's not going anywhere. When you implement one of these programs, you can make the benefit, the cash value of the insurance policy, available to him and his family immediately. Right. If you have somebody that you've just brought into your business, they're unproven, you don't know their loyalty, you don't know their value to the enterprise yet, we can put a vesting schedule on that. And we can say that as the owner of the company, I'm going to set aside X number of dollars a year for your benefit, and it's going to be deposited into this insurance policy. But if you leave me before some agreed upon period of time, could be five years, could be 10 years, it's right. completely customizable, you forfeit all of the accumulated value in that policy, and that money reverts back to the company. Right. So it's a way of putting what we call golden handcuffs on somebody and really providing a strong incentive for them to stay and help you grow your business. Right. So I think when people think about life insurance, they think about death benefit and death benefit only. They, f they either don't know or they forget that there's a cash accumulation benefit there as well. And one of the nice things about these policies is you can tailor them to be either a high death benefit or high cash accumulation. And when you're talking about, you know, a vesting program and things like that, you're talking about the cash accumulation portion, not the death benefit, right? Correct. The death benefit, uh, now it's depending on how it's structured. If it's a key man policy and it's owned by the company, the company pays the premium, the company is the beneficiary, that death benefit comes into the company. Right. 
it can be structured differently as an executive bonus program where the employee owns the policy, the employee is entitled to the death benefit. However, their access to the cash value of the policy is restricted by an endorsement on the policy. Right. And that, um, that period of time for which it's restricted is negotiated between the owner of the company and the employee. Right. And we do have uh, quite a degree of, of flexibility in how we structure those plans. Right. So for those listening, you can use this in a variety of different ways. One is um, I got to replace the income if this person gets, you know, hit by a bolt of lightning and, you know, replace the sales and be lost while we train somebody else. And I got to go, you, you know, spend this money to go hire somebody else immediately. And then the second thing is um, this is kind of a supplementary retirement plan. I could use it to pay the premiums and let the employee get the death benefit if they get hit by that same bolt of lightning their family is taken care of in a much better way than they were before this agreement. Um, oh, and by the way, it's going to accumulate cash over the next, you know, however many years until you retire. And you can have whatever portion of that we work out in, a, in the vesting agreement, either zero for years one through four, and then boom, all of a sudden you get hundred percent at year five or 20% a year for years one through five until, you know, they hit the hundred percent in five years and things like that. Right. It's all, they're all completely customizable. That is correct. So what, what are the, uh, the what are the benefits besides, the obvious ones, you're, you're giving the employee a monetary incentive to stay. Um, you know, with the, with the 401k and things like that, you don't really have access to anything until you're 59 and a half. Is it the same way with this kind of thing? Great question, Brian. One of the real values of life insurance is that unlike your 401k and your other government plans, uh, the insured has access to the accumulated cash value at any time for any reason without any tax consequences. And the way that you access money through a life insurance policy typically is you're borrowing and you're borrowing and leveraging the, the death benefit of the policy to borrow from. And depending on the insurance company, the cost of borrowing from your policy could be as, as low as 1% during the first four to five years of the policy. Most companies that we work with, typically after 10 years, the cost of borrowing from your policy is 0%. Now, loans from an insurance policy are very unique. They do not have to be repaid while you're alive. If you die with an outstanding loan against your insurance policy, that loan is simply deducted from the death benefit that's paid to your family. Mm -hmm. So it's a very uh, effective, very low-cost way of um, borrowing money. Right. For, for business owners in particular, it's a very powerful way of borrowing money. Uh, I have a client that has a, a substantial amount of uh, cash value, you know, in excess of seven figures accumulated in his policies. And now when he has a need for uh, business financing of some sort, he doesn't go to his bank, he goes to his insurance policy. Mm -hmm. Instead of going through the underwriting process that the bank would put him through, he calls me or he calls the insurance company directly. He's able to borrow from his policy and have that money in his account typically in less than five days. Right. And, and, and are, are you paying income tax on that money you borrow? No, you're borrowing money, not taking, um, you're not, it's non-reportable. Right. So there is no, there's no reporting to the IRS. Right. And let me segue just a second on that is the, the value of when you do borrow from an insurance policy in retirement is that it's not reportable income. Uh, whereas money coming out of your 401k or your IRA is reportable to the IRS. And that's included in your gross income and in the calculation for how much of your social security benefit is taxed. Loans from a life insurance policy are considered non-reportable and have no impact on Social Security benefits or Medicare Part B premiums. Right. So uh, people might be asking, um, 
you know, me later on, why, why are you, why did you have a whole thing about uh, life insurance? And I, I just, uh, from my perspective, uh, having your, in, your business insured to protect your family, of course, and your employees in the event something happens to you is pretty critical. And recognizing that catastrophic things can happen and um, you need to have plans in place for that, just no different than you have a liability insurance policy for if you're, if somebody's, you know, walking through your parking lot and breaks their ankle in a pothole, you got to have insurance for that kind of thing. In my mind, this stuff is no different. And you get the benefit of also having these key man insurance policies, which, you know, for me, we were in business for a couple of years before I even knew what these things were. Uh, and, and you know, it, it, they're all, you know, in this, like you said, in this labor market now where it's really hard to find people, we kind of all need to pull from whatever resources possible to, to, to um, do this. So for those of you listening, this is not a this is not an insurance sales pitch. It really is just an educational thing for folks to become aware of things they might not have known before and understand the, 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 the value and the flexibility these different kinds of plans can offer. Um, and again, you know, if you have more questions about life insurance and the tax implications, talk to your CPA and you can call Mike directly later on. I'll, I'll give you his contact information some more later on. But um, so you got, you got the, the death benefit that pay, is paid to the family is tax-free. Uh, if it's paid to the company, that's tax-free. Correct. Uh, in both cases, money borrowed is tax-free. So there's all kinds of tax implications here and benefits that, again, you'd want to look at for your specific situation and, and see if it makes sense for you. Um, let's shift gears a little bit now and talk about a captive insurance company. Why don't you give us a quick synopsis of what a captive insurance company is? Every business has risk that they can't buy insurance for through the commercial insurance market. Either the coverage doesn't exist, it's too expensive, there's gaps in coverage, or there's deductibles. There is a provision in our tax code that allows a company to set up its own private insurance company to cover the risks of the parent company. And under this, we can actually customize the insurance policies. Um, In addition to having risk in your business, you oftentimes have risk you may not even be aware of. And those are risks that you're self-insuring. If something does happen, you're going to pay that claim out of cash flow. Uh, You're going to borrow the money. Um, You're going to have to pay it somehow, some way. Under the uh, Internal Revenue Code, you're allowed to set up a private insurance company and through working with an actuary, identify the risks in your business, quantify those risks, and create a premium to cover those risks. Under current tax law, you're able to take a deduction for up to $2.3 million a year to provide these benefits, these insurance policies for your parent company. Right. So when we talk about risk, we're not talking about, we're not necessarily talking about vehicle accidents or, again, that person who breaks their ankle walking through your parking lot. We could be talking about loss of revenue because of, you know, a, a storm, or we could be talking about loss of revenue because a key employee gets pregnant and takes FMLA. Uh, we could be talking about uh, uh, all kinds of different risks. There's not, it's not just a liability. Somebody gets hurt. I got to pay for that risk. It's, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of other things that go along to, uh, into this. Um, the last episode we had Harry on talking about rework. Uh, warranty work is a risk. And again, like you say, you're, you're self-funding that out of your cash flow, but this whole this whole idea is you're 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 um, protecting yourself against all kinds of risks, not just liability risks. Correct. These are enterprise level risks. Uh, one, for example, uh, would be crop damage. Um, if you are a farmer, rancher, and you have crop insurance, you have to reach certain thresholds before those policies will pay a claim. You're, through your captive insurance company, we can design the coverage to coordinate with your current crop insurance that you get better coverage. 
Another one would be uh, loss of professional license, uh, damage to your reputation. We could also cover uh, loss of uh, supply chain. Right. So let's say you own a, um, a heating or air conditioning company and the major provider of your heating and air conditioning units suffers a fire in their warehouse and you're without the ability to order air conditioners or whatever that part is for a period of time, that's going to have a substantial impact on the profitability of your business. That's the kind of risk that we can cover through a captive right. insurance company. So then, like you say, you work with an actuary, you identify these risks, you assign a, a dollar amount to them, and let's say you wanted to, uh, let's just say you want to insure your company against the deductible you would have on a on a you know liability type claim. Mm -hmm. And let's say your deductible is $10,000. And you can say, okay, we're only going to insure that that way, when we have these things out of pocket, we'll, we'll get the money from our new captive insurance company to pay us the $10,000 for these deductibles. And so our company is essentially not out of pocket for the, the entire thing, right? Correct. Um, folks wondering, uh, listening, maybe like me, you know, before I heard about this stuff and wondering, okay, well, that's all sounds great, but it sounds really expensive. Where's the money come from? All that kind of stuff. So the idea is we create an insurance company that's a captive insurance company that and you create an LLC or a corporation or whatever it is. That it's, you a structure. Corporation. it's a C corporation. It's a C corporation. And you pay, your your parent company pays premiums to that organization. and Full, Fully deductible. Fully deductible as an expense. And so you're lowering your tax liability when you pay your taxes every year. And then if there is a qualifying event, the insurance company does write a check back to the parent company to cover the expenses, right? Correct. And these programs are ideal for companies that are generating $2.5 million a year in gross revenue or above. And companies that are typically paying $100,000 a year or more in uh, federal income tax. They're not inexpensive. They're, they're not for the small mom and pop type company. Right. These are for a little bit larger companies. And they're not a fit for every company. And I talk about them to a lot of business owners. I talk about them to a lot of CPAs. And there's a, a lot of um, lack of knowledge out there in the marketplace about these programs. Now, they've been in the tax code since 1981. Uh, it's well-established law. Uh, right. There have been a number of court cases recently where the IRS has looked at these programs and found some things that uh, they didn't like in the way that some of the programs were managed. But the programs that were managed correctly and were using real risk um, they had no problems with the IRS, and the IRS is you know, is fine with these programs. Right. So for those listening that have now heard, it's a great way to, to take the money from the parent company and give it to the captive insurance company, who then may one day theoretically turn around and give it back to the parent company, and it's really expensive. So after hearing all that, what's in it for somebody to do this? What, what's, 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 the, what's the reason you'd want to do this if we're just transferring money back and forth? Okay, first of all, it's going to create a tax deduction for the parent company of up to $2.3 million. And that's going to be taken at your, your top marginal tax rate, typically. When you put the money into the insurance company, it's going to sit in the insurance company, and it's not going to be taxed on any profits. If there are no claims, that's profit to the parent company. The, the insurance company. The insurance company. Yeah. If you have uh, a period of time over which there are no claims, that reserve account of the insurance company is going to grow and grow and grow. Now, as that money grows, you have three choices on what to do with that money. You can leave it in the insurance company and let it continue to grow. And the only taxes you're going to pay are on investment earnings. You can take a distribution from the insurance company and only pay capital gains tax on that distribution. Instead of paying your normal ordinary income, your, tax, your ordinary income tax. So if you're 
So if you're in that, if you're like you said in your example, you're doing two and a half million dollars a year in revenue, and you're paying Uncle Sam a hundred thousand dollars a year in taxes, that means you're probably in the thirty-five percent tax bracket. The benefit is I'm going to pay capital gains tax, which is probably twenty-five percent or something like twenty-three point eight max. Twenty-three and a half, twenty-three point eight percent. So you're, it, it, if nothing else, you're saving that roughly ten percent or twelve percent or whatever it is. Correct. Plus, you get the choice of when to pay that. Uh, when that money goes into the insurance company, that money can sit there and defer paying that capital gains tax for years and years and years. And with some good tax planning, and we work with a team of, of CPAs and tax attorneys, with some good tax planning, we can reduce that capital gains exposure to about half of the amount that's in the, the captive insurance company. Gotcha. Now, the last strategy for accessing the money is borrowing. Uh, you can borrow money from your insurance company and use it for whatever purpose you want. Um, you can use it to expand your business. You can use that money to buy a piece of equipment. You can use that money to uh, develop your retirement savings plan using that money and creating a tax-free income stream in retirement. There's no set requirement on how that money is used. So borrowing, and when we borrow from a captive insurance company, we are uh, regulated by IRS regulations, and it has to be a performing loan, it has to be a documented loan, and we have to pay interest on it. Right. Now, the interest on that loan right now is about 2 to 2.5%. Two but you're paying interest from one company you own to another company you own. Right. So the interest rate is really irrelevant because right. you're paying it back and forth between two companies. You're, just, you're just showing the IRS that this is a real loan, not a, I'm not just taking money here for and, and trying to hide it. Correct. And we do, um, we do want there to be claims against an insurance company. These are uh, bona fide insurance companies. They are licensed and regulated insurance companies. The coverages that we have that we put in place for you uh, are going to be real insurance policies. There will be real risk attached to those policies. Now, is your company going to have claims every year against your policy? Highly unlikely. Some industries, it does happen but they are real insurance companies. So the money that's in the insurance company is subject to claims for up to one year. After a year, that money is fully earned out and it's no longer subject to claims. What do you mean by that subject to claims for the first year? When, because it is an insurance company, the policies that we're going to underwrite for you are property and casualty type insurance policies. They're one year policies. So during the first year that that policy is in force, it is subject to claims or that risk. Meaning you can't touch the money for anything else. You Correct. have to leave it in there in case there's a claim. Correct. For one gotcha. year. Okay. After a year, then you have tremendous flexibility on what to do with that money. Right. So theoretically, you could, if you had your two and a half million dollar business and you're paying your hundred thousand dollar a year in taxes, you write a policy in which the premiums are, you know, let's say a hundred thousand dollars and you, you put a hundred thousand dollars a year into this captive insurance company you're you're lowering your tax liability by that hundred thousand dollars. You're gonna you're gonna save yourself thirty five thousand dollars roughly. I mean, yeah, you're gonna. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna. You're, I guess a better way to say it is you're only gonna pay sixty five thousand instead of a hundred thousand in that because you're you're lowering your tax liability. But then it goes in this it's this captive insurance company where if you had a few claims, the money's there. It's earning interest on whatever investments you have it in. If you have a savings account or if you invested in whatever else, yeah, the money can be then paid back. And you, you have a cash reserve that you're kind of mandating yourself to make, which most small businesses probably are not disciplined enough to do that. And so you have, you're mandating this cash reserve there. And by the way, you're spending the money anyway, because, you know, you're, you're, like I said, you're just, you're paying these expenses out of cash flow. Um, this, you're just kind of finalizing a, a process to do that. But then the $100,000 a year sits there and accumulates for however long you want it to. 
And then after five years, if you want to pull out $140,000 and go buy a rental house in Boise, Idaho, you're going to pay capital then gains you, tax. You, 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 or you could borrow the money to, to do that. Correct. And pay yourself back interest on that with the rent you're getting from the rental house. Exactly. And that's where this turns into a wealth accumulation strategy is now you have access to this money essentially tax-free while you're just borrowing it and repaying it back so that over the long haul, you're going to accumulate a fair amount of money in there, hopefully, and not have a ton of claims. The money is available for you then to borrow to go do things like buy real estate or buy a $10 million life insurance policy or you know whatever you want to do with it to then leverage that money to go make more money. Correct. Right? And in, in a very tax advantage kind of situation. That's that's kind of the idea behind this whole thing, right? Correct. One additional advantage in Washington state and, and in most states is that the money inside the insurance company is protected from the claims of creditors. Um, every business owner I know, you know, and talk to every day is concerned about what happens if right. you know, something goes wrong on a job site and, you know, a lawyer comes after me. In Washington state, both money inside a life insurance policy and also inside a captive insurance company is protected from the claims of creditors. Right. So, again, for those of you listening, wondering why I'm spending uh, 33 and a half minutes so far talking about life insurance and a captive insurance company, uh, I'm not I'm not switching careers. I'm not in the insurance sales business now. Uh, I just find this extremely fascinating. I think one of the things that small business people struggle with is you go through all this effort to get a business launched. And then if you start having some success, and it's, it kind of turns into, well, now what? Now it's just kind of a perpetual cycle of money coming in, money coming out. And, you know, we don't really know what to do to go to that next step. And so this kind of lays out a blueprint for folks on how to force yourself to save money for whatever and, and, and save money for risk, you know, you know, paying out liabilities and things like that as they occur. But also then allowing yourself to take some of that money that's set aside if you don't need it for the insurance payouts or whatever, to then use your money as you wish to go buy other ventures. You know, like I said, real estate comes to mind, or if you want to buy life insurance policies, or if you want to buy whatever you want to buy, or you want to go buy yourself a new motorcycle and, and pay yourself back two and a half percent interest instead of paying the bank six percent interest or twelve percent interest, whatever it is. I mean, that, that that stuff all kind of seems to make sense to me. We use a, a little saying, and it's uh, the private insurance company is helping you transform business risk into personal wealth. Right, right. Um, so for those for those listening who are kind of on that fringe, you know, I'm you know two point four million a year, and I'm you know, I'm only paying eighty eight thousand dollars a year, only paying eighty eight thousand dollars a year to the IRS. <laughs> what what um, you know what what are the considerations should they you know think about when they're deciding if this is a fit for them? Obviously, like you said, it's not free. It's fairly mm-hmm. There's there's significant costs that go along with running this thing, and give and us give us a call. Those numbers are, are guidelines. They're they're not hard and fast. Right. Uh, sometimes we'll find a business that maybe has lower revenue but does have significant risk in the business, and often not would say oftentimes sometimes we can justify the expense of setting up one of these companies, even if you're not at that two and a half million dollars. Um, my guidance to anybody who's listening is this is a conversation to have with you and your CPA. Uh, we're always going to involve a client CPA in this. These are our major business decisions, right. and it is always best to bring your CPA on board. And let's have the conversation and, and see if it is an appropriate strategy. It doesn't fit for everyone, but when it fits, it's a very powerful tool. Right. And for me, when I when I heard about it the first time, I don't know, four or five years ago, and then I've, I've heard about it more recently, of course, um, you know, for those folks who, who uh, you know, you're looking at your retirement planning and long-term planning and kind of wondering, well, how do I pull this stuff off? One of the things that people don't realize until they own a business 
is um, depending on how you how you structure your company. If you're if you're an S corporation, you pay taxes on money that is quote unquote profit that you don't ever actually see, which is uh, extremely frustrating for a business owner. That that uh, you 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 know you you have these decent years in which you take the profits and essentially reinvest them back in the company, but you get to pay taxes on that money even though you don't actually it ever, doesn't ever actually hit your personal checking account. Um, so you, you, there come times where you wonder, well, how can I possibly afford to retire? How can I possibly afford to ret- to fund a retirement program? And I think this is something that kind of makes sense for, for folks to consider. Again, I'm not I'm not switching careers. I'm not in the insurance industry now. I just think it's in, it, uh, super interesting to kind of consider this as a, a possibility for folks who are kind of in that area wondering, how do I pull this stuff off? I, I, got, I got a whole bunch of things going on here at one time. And and uh, how do I possibly, you know, realize my dreams of retiring one day if, if you know, I have to be at work and and there's not enough money to go around. And I'm paying a bunch of taxes on money I'm never seeing, and I gotta bring in, I gotta bring up key employees and train them on how to replace me one day. It seems a lot, you know, it can get really overwhelming. And I think this is just something for folks to, to maybe consider. One uh, one last thought is the insurance strategy is a, a I believe a perfect strategy for the business owner, for the business owner himself. Um, they can set up an, an insurance funded retirement plan and have it be for their exclusive benefit. So you don't have to cover your employees. It's just for you. You can put away virtually an unlimited amount of money. Right. Um, it's very different when I talk to a, a business owner and it's, I'm looking at doing something just for me. I've done everything I can for the employees. I've got the 401k. I've got the tools in place to, you know, that I have to have to compete for good employees. But now it's time to think about me. Right. And the 401k, the IRA, oftentimes doesn't allow the business owner to set aside a meaningful amount of money for themselves that's going to replace the income they draw from the business when they retire. Right. Insurance allows you to do that. Right. Well, Mike, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, um, again, we're not switching our format to hot insurance talk. Uh, this is just something I thought was interesting and, and wanted to throw out there to see if it was something that you all would find, find beneficial as well. Uh, so, again, thanks, Mike, for coming on, uh, sharing all your information. I really appreciate it. Um, next week, we're going to have on Dean Smith to talk about personal development and not in the traditional way you probably think when you hear personal development. Uh, trust me, this is going to be a can't miss episode uh, for sure. And uh, again, thanks, Mike, for coming on. And uh, that's all for today. Thank you.